Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to talk about MSU's upcoming home game against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. A special thanks to all of you who have been subscribing to the new feed on Spotify and telling your friends and family. Please continue to leave ratings and reviews on your podcast players so other Spartans can find the show. If you'd like to find other ways to support the show, head on over to tffinots.com support to get the necessary links. We are honored to be joined by retired MSU assistant coach Mike Garland, the OG, who helped us break down the Gophers. Coach, <laughs> thanks so much for coming back on. Well, it's indeed a pleasure to be here again. It's always exciting to spend time with you guys talking basketball. Yeah, we appreciate it a ton. Uh, thanks for coming back on to the Final Four on the schedule. Well, let's talk about Minnesota. MSU is now on a win streak of one and is sitting at two and four in the conference at the back of the pack. Like Rutgers, this is a game that the Spartans need to secure and hopefully go on a little winning streak. Minnesota is the only team that Michigan State did not face last year after the game got canceled after the tragic shooting on campus back in February. And parenthetically, Rutgers is unwilling to adjust their schedule to accommodate rescheduling that game. Uh, the Gophers are 12-5 and five overall, 3-3 three and three in the Big Ten, which means they've already eclipsed last season's conference win total. They're 92nd in Ken Palm and 97th in the net. On offense, they're 98th on offense and 90th on defense. So they're sort of a balanced team in that sense. On offense, they do two things very well. They're 12th in the nation from two, and they're 64th in offensive rebounding. The struggles are via turnovers at they rank 201st in turnover percentage free throws they only shoot 67.6 percent at the line and they don't get there very often either and on threes they're shooting 33.7 percent on defense they've been pretty good against twos ranking 45th and have a good shot block ranking at 71st they're a mediocre defensive rebounding team at 145th and they don't turn their opponents over very much at ranking 178th in turnovers uh, created they're also very mediocre against the three at 155th, uh, but they do limit attempts, which many times we've talked about. That's sort of as almost as important as uh, your defense against the three some, in some respects. So number 11th in three-point attempts against as a percentage of overall shots from the floor. Uh, opponents have uh, tendly, tend to make a lot of free throws against them, uh, but Minnesota doesn't foul a whole lot. And pace-wise, this is a slow team. They're 203rd overall and 208th in length of offensive possession. Yeah, I, I think that this is very much a bounce back year for Ben Johnson. You know, I thought they were, especially considering what he was facing in his first year, I thought they were really competitive. Uh, right. They didn't have any depth. If you remember, they basically had a six-man rotation, and that was it. Uh, but the, he got about as much out of that team as I think was reasonably possible. 
And then last year they had to replace a lot of those guys because most of them were, you know, fifth year transfers that didn't have any more eligibility. And and then on top of that, Jamison Battle, who was their best player, was hurt for a lot of last season. So even when he played, I don't think he was a hundred percent. And they were really, really bad. They were one of if if you look at the analytics stuff and the record, frankly, at two and two and seventeen, <laughs> yeah. they were one of the worst teams we've seen over the last decade at least in the Big Ten but this team's bounced back as you said they've already won one more game in the league than they did all of last season and I'm going to guess they're going to continue to win at least a few games from here so they're just they're a lot better at both ends I think the the new guys that he's brought in seem to be fitting a little better um, especially at the guards like their guard play is much better than it was last year. And so far, it's added up. I mean, you, you look at where they're sitting in the net and their record, and they're still not very likely to be a tournament team by any means, but it definitely feels to me like it's a step in the right direction. They're back to kind of playing hard the way they did two years ago. I thought was really impressive about, about them. And so um, Ben Johnson's got to feel a lot better so far this season with what he's seen. Yeah, and I think you know we talked about him initially uh, when they that they were they he was building the program but we thought the right way where he's recruiting Minneapolis you know Minnesota kids, yeah, uh, and it's been a struggle sort of getting that going. And I guess that was a question for you, Coach Garland. You were there at the beginning with 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 Tom, uh, kind of used although the program wasn't as bad shape as Minnesota was you know uh, after coming off Heathcote. You and is, and is had to really kind of create a program and get the recruiting in, in state. How did you sort of establish it? Because I feel like that's sort of what Ben Johnson's trying to do, and at least protecting Minneapolis and Minnesota, and not letting those players leave for other schools. Well, you know, um, you know, in defense of uh, you know, in defense of Ben a little bit, Minnesota has never really been a team that has been able to. Um, Harvest great players out of his backyard. If you remember yeah. Camilo to Connecticut and just several guys. And when they've been good, um the, the majority of those kids came out of uh, came out of other states, in particularly, like everybody else during that time, out of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And when yep. economy went backwards and people moved away from Michigan, uh, we just we just don't have the the players here to harvest from to have those great teams. I mean, Iowa, you know, uh, Iowa and, and, and Minnesota, they really made a killing here, but our, a lot of our, you know, second and third tier high major division one players were some very great players. And if you look at the history of those guys that left the state to play for those schools, uh, the majority of them were NBA players. So that's tough. But going back to what we did, you know, we right away said that um, if we can, if we can recruit our state, because as I said, the harvest was plenty, uh, and get even if Michigan got the first five top guys, those second tier guys. When we talk about a second tier, we weren't really talking about a lot of a lot of play there. And in yeah. fact, a lot of those second, supposedly second tier guys became better players in the first tier. 
but we talked, we constantly talk about doing our recruiting member meetings about the five hour radius, you know, Indiana, Chicago, Ohio, you know, we stayed right here within a five. And, and when you think about it, it's one of the re greatest recruiting base uh, that you can have because there's great players. I mean, we, we had right down, you know, 69 quarter and we're in Anderson and Marion and all, you know, right. In all those places. And we're actually just as close as Indiana, you know, and the same thing uh, of going into Chicago. Um, you know, we're just a Gary, Indiana. We're just as close to those places than Purdue and, and, and Indiana to Gary and Chicago. And, and we're closer than Illinois than, than, um, than at the University of Illinois. Is. So, yeah. you know, Michigan State, geographically, we're located in the, one of the better places you can be to build a college basketball program. Yeah, it's easy to forget how many big cities are so close. You've got, like you said, Chicago, Indianapolis, Columbus, Cleveland, Detroit. I Fort, mean, Fort Wayne, Fort even Wayne, smaller yeah. place, Fort Wayne, Gary in the past. Yeah, a lot of places. And and don't forget, before the economic shutdown, you know, we own Flint, we own Pontiac, yeah. yep. all those places of great, great, great players, Saginaw, all those you know, we had great players here in our state. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the uh, lineups for Minnesota, the Golden Gophers. And this is brought to you by the Brothers of Jesse Gutters, as they're, as uh, Rod will tell us later, which player Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter for Minnesota. Uh, as a reminder, it is, although it is snowing, there are, you have to absolutely have to take care of the water problems on your house. You got to keep all that water away from your house so it doesn't get into your foundation, into your basement or places you don't want it. So uh, leaky gutters, downspouts, those sorts of problems. The Brothers should just do gutters. The great thing about them is not glamours, but that's all they do, just gutters. And so they do a very good job at it. And so listeners of the show get 10% off if they mention Final Four when they get their estimate. They'll come out in any weather, uh, even probably in weather like today, even though it's like 10, 15 degrees out, they'll come out and they'll at least take care of things. They can repair, replace, and clean out those gutters. So begin with the starters. Uh, Elijah Hawkins, 5'11". Junior transfer from Howard. He's averaging 8.1 points a game on 35, 33, and 76 shooting. Uh, but he's done a really nice job integrating to the Gopher offense and has a 3-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. Yeah, and and 7.8 assists per game, which I think is second in the country. And yeah. that's, yeah, it, it, to me, he's the best they've had at that position in several years. You know, that's that's been a problem. It was a problem last year. It's been a problem in other years where they haven't really had good point guard play. And he's at least done that. You know, he's done a really good job of getting them into their offense, creating for teammates. He's also leading the team in steals at two per game as well. So uh, a really important addition for them, I think, in the transfer portal. And it's one of those things, you know, he came from Howard. You don't always know how those guys that are transferring up to a Big Ten level are going to translate, but so far so good with him. I was just going to say I, I recognize, you know, when I was going through uh, their stats that, uh, and I would agree, you know, they have a true point guard, and it really helps when you have a pass-first point guard, and he really does a tremendous job uh, 
being at 3.1s, assist to turnover ratio, or taking care of that basketball. And that's why you see the 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 scoring so leveled out. You know, they have yeah. four of their five starters are in double figures and uh, right. the six man, like right at uh, 9.9 or 8 or something like that. But, uh, yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things we, we touch on sometimes here, Coach, is, you know, people – talk a lot about the assist to turnover ratio, but I would maintain there's a big difference between guys who might have a good ratio, but they're not really very dynamic. They get an occasional assist because they're swinging the ball on the perimeter. Hawkins is a guy right. much like much like Trey Holloman is, and it's what makes right. Trey Holloman's ratio so impressive. He's actually creating shots for teammates. Yes, yes, yes. That is a big difference, and uh, sometimes you look at that and it can be misleading where you have a point guard out there who's just managing the game uh, as opposed to one that is creating, uh, you know, easy baskets and great shots for his teammates. There's a big difference between the two, I would agree. Uh, So then we'll move on to Mike Mitchell, six foot two. Junior transfer from Pepperdine, averaging 10.2 points a game on 44, 39, and 82 shooting. Leads the team in steals at one and a half a game and is their second leading assist guy with 46 to 30 turnovers. Yeah, and and again, coming from Pepperdine, you don't know how that's going to translate, but I I think that it's worked out very well so far with Mike Mitchell uh, for for Ben Johnson's team. Uh, This is a team that last year just shot the ball miserably. I mean, they just couldn't hit threes at all. So to add a guy who's shooting 39% and shooting a decent volume with it too, uh, it's really made a difference. I I would say this about him, and I haven't seen every Minnesota game, but I've seen several. And from what I've seen, I would define him more as a streak shooter than a pure shooter. He's the kind of guy, at least in games I've seen, he might go on a run where he hits, you know, three triples in two and a half minutes, but then he might miss five in a row. Now, so it's he's dangerous for sure, but you don't always know game to game what you're going to get out of him. But but regardless, over the course of the season, he's been a very important addition for them, just giving them that boost on the perimeter that they just didn't have last year. And then we come to Cam Christie, six foot six freshman wing, younger brother of former MSU player and current Laker, Max Christie, averaging 10 and a half points a game and three and a half rebounds a game, shooting 43, 39, and 71. And a little over half his shots are from the three. And boy, I watched the game last night against Iowa. And I, if you weren't paying close attention, you thought that was yeah. Max Christie out there. I mean, there is no question there's a sibling resemblance. Uh, I wanted to ask Coach, since we were fortunate enough to have him. You were obviously around for for Max's recruitment, um, and and so I'm assuming you saw at least some of Cam when he was younger. Uh, do you think he's? Are, are you surprised that he's turned out um, playing this well as a freshman, or was this kind of what you would have expected? Well, I I always thought that he would uh, would end up being a pretty good player, but to be honest with you, I'd have never imagined that. Uh, that uh, Cam would have grown to be six foot six. I mean, he was really small for a while, you know? Yeah. I mean, not only skinny, but not that tall. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's good to see him grow into his body and grow into his skill set. Now, he was he was very skilled. He could do some things. But, um, you know, when you're a basketball player and you had a skill set, you know, if the good Lord blesses you, you know, with the with the height, now you got something. <laughs> um, look at if you look through throughout the game in the past year, so many players. I remember Steve Smith. Uh, I was in coaching in high school, and we used to play Pershing a lot. And when Steve Smith was a sophomore, Steve Smith was only 5'11", 155 pounds. Yeah. Summer between his sophomore year and his junior year, he grew to be 6'8". So <laughs> that, that stuff makes a difference, you know, and you see it. You see what a lot of guys, you know, they they just they just late bloomers and they grow into their grow into that long linky body and now you got your real player. I I remember that was a big part of the story around Anthony Davis several years mm-hmm. ago when he was in yes. high school. He went from like yes. I think he I think yes. he'd been a point guard as a sophomore. Yes. Well, and then all yes. yeah. And then all of yeah. a sudden he's whatever he is, six eleven. I watched him I watched him place uh point guard. Uh, in AAU, he you know uh, played yeah. for Mean Streets, and uh, right. it's a little skinny dude, you know. And he wore <laughs> um, it, he looked like a, a, a you know a nerd. He had these these glasses <laughs> on, and it, it was, you wouldn't you wouldn't think it was it it was it was AD, but uh, yeah. Moving along to Joseph. Uh, Joshua Ola Joseph, a 6'7", 215 pound sophomore, averaging 11 points a game and 2.7 rebounds a game, shooting 64, 48, and 70. Uh, though that doesn't reflect a lot of three point volume, about one and a half a game. But he's obviously at 48 percent is pretty good. What's your th- what are your thoughts on him, Coach? Well, um, it's obvious. Um, you know, I I was talking to some of the guys over there and. Uh, talking to Austin Thornton about the scout and what he thought of him. And, uh, you know, uh, Joseph is really a, a very good athlete and plays strong inside there, and he can create some problems. But, uh, you know, that, that, that three-point shooting thing can be misleading. You just can't give him that shot <laughs> right. at the end right. of the game because he's a competitive kid and he's going to – He's going to probably make that. So we got to be sure that as we come down the stretch, we're not giving him those open ones because I'm sure, you know, uh, to start the game, we'll back off him a little a, a little bit, knowing that he's not a great three-point shooter. That's why it doesn't take him. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, you know, I love players that play with sets, you know, guys that do what they can do, and he's not trying to – you know, he's not trying to prove to everybody he's a three-point shooter. But uh, now it writes him, whoa, okay, he's <laughs> a little better than we thought. <laughs> and, and then you add in the fact that he's shooting 64% overall. It it has to tell you this is a guy who absolutely knows what a good shot is and what a good shot is Absolutely. Isn't. Yeah. Finally, for the starters, we'll go on to Darson, Dawson Garcia, 6'11", 230-pound junior. Previously, he was playing at Marquette uh, and, and North Carolina. He's in the second year at Minneapolis, and he was injured for quite a bit last year, at least for a part of the season. Uh, he leads the team in scoring at 17.4 points a game, rebounds at 7.4 a game, 
shoots 46, 21, and 84. So uh, from the perimeter, not as dangerous, but definitely finds a lot of ways to cause trouble and uh, averaging seven free throws a game as well. He's the pick for a guy to keep in the gutter. He's clearly their their top offensive player. He's their top rebounder. Uh, occasionally, he'll give them some shot blocking on defense. Um, the three-point shooting has definitely fallen off this year. Uh, last year, he shot 35%. This year, he's at 21. Um, but the, the, the good thing, again, same thing we were just talking about, it's not like he takes a ton of them. So the, I think he averages, he takes slightly more than Ola Joseph does. I think he averages about two attempts per game. But that's not crazy because he is a guy who in the past has been able to hit him. But most of the damage gets done inside. A very experienced player. This is a guy who everybody thought when he came out of high school was going to be great. He was a McDonald's All-American. And it's kind of taken him a while to find himself at, at this kind of level where people's expectations were, I think. But he looks to have done it. And having him play this well is a big deal for them, obviously, uh, to give them uh, – a guy who go out and get you a lot of points any given night. I think, actually, I think last night in the loss against Iowa, I think he had 30. So um, definitely a capable scorer and a guy MSU is going to have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the Minnesota coaches probably watch our show, but what do you think uh, Michigan State's strategy is going to be to try and hold him down? Well, you know, uh, obviously, we, we've got we've to keep him off the block and, um, you know, limit his touches. That's the biggest thing. Uh, they love to, um, as I understand it, they love to get him the ball in, uh, right at the free throw line, extend it, and clear out that left side where he can drive left. He's going to, even though he, he, he can go both ways, uh, when, it, when it comes down to it, he really wants to score. He, even though he's going right, he's going to come back left. So we got to make sure we get a good hand up on him. We got to make sure that we get a body on Dawson. I recruited Dawson when he was um, at Minnesota. I started recruiting him when he was a sophomore and uh, started going up there. And, um, you know, we, we, we had a pretty good relationship with him and his family and his coach. And um, we thought that um, we had a pretty good uh, chance of getting Dawson. And what's remarkable about how he's playing now, you know, the reason that he would, the reason that, North Carolina went uh, all out to get him was because, you know, he he put on some three-point shooting performances, you know, during the AAU and, and his high school career. Um, for whatever reason, he's not making shots like he was, but that, you know, everybody thought he was uh, just, uh, you know, the, the atypical, you know, stretch four. Yeah. And he could put it down a little bit, and he was tough. You know, he still is tough. Uh, so, you know, everybody fell in love with him. But, uh, yeah, you know, we, you know, we just got to, you got to keep him off of the, you know, not, don't let him have those elbow isos because that's what he really wants, you know. And those are hard to defend because you really don't get any help. You get that ball on the elbow just like when you watch an NBA game, they get that ball to the high elbow to LeBron. You can't get no help there because how do you pinch in? You can, you just can't. So uh, unless there's totally non-shooters and nobody plays like that anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, moving on to the reserves then, we'll start with Farrell Payne, 6'10", 250-pound sophomore, averaging a little under 10 points a game and 5.6 rebounds a game, shooting 67% from the floor, but a uh, poor 36% from the free throw line. Yeah, and also uh, right at about two shot blocks a game. Uh, he's playing about half the game, about 20 minutes. I really like him. I liked him last year when he was a freshman. He kind of came in not very heralded, but you could see right away, okay, this is a guy who's got you know some a lot of big kids that come into Big Ten programs. They never see the floor or they rarely see the floor because everybody's trying to find that project who they can develop, and a lot of times they don't develop. He, he showed right away that he had the potential to be a high-quality Big Ten player, and I, I think he's shown improvement again this year. Very big, strong guy, kind of tough to handle around the rim physically. Um, and sometimes they don't seem to do it a ton, but sometimes they will play him in combination with Garcia, and that makes them very big if they've got those two guys out there at the same time. So something to think about in terms of how Michigan State will try to counter that. What's interesting in the Big Ten, they're playing him more minutes uh, than they are playing Joseph uh, in, at that four position. And uh, as you said, you know, they they go big, and that can present some problems, you know, if you are <laughs> if you can't match up to that, uh, in particular if they start to really get on that offensive glass against you. Yeah, I was going to say, yep. and that, the boards, yeah. And that's one of the one of the few things they do pretty well on offense is offensive rebound. I, I heard uh, Coach Izzo's press conference today. He was talking about that, how uh, the question was asked about how he's going to handle the rotation at the five for MSU with Jackson Kohler back now. And he was saying, you know, he knows it sounds like a cop-out answer, but it's the truth that it really depends who you're matching up against in any given game and that Minnesota – was one of the teams that he talked about is, yeah, they, they can play with a lot of size. And so that's going to dictate playing time to some extent right. because you got to try to find ways to counter it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And people, uh, you know, uh, you know, people don't, a lot of people, or a lot of fans don't understand this about the game of basketball uh, because they're so offensive minded when uh -huh. they watch the game. And that's what makes the game exciting. I, I would agree, but in but in reality, you are what you can guard. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you're a three point shooter and you can put the ball down and do all this stuff, but you can't guard your opponent's perimeter. Uh, you're not a perimeter player. You know, and sometimes people, well, why is the sauce so on the floor? Well, why are you? Well, yeah, you know. So, you know, um, to go along with what you just said, you know, once they go big, that helps us. That helps us play our bigs as well. So, you know, I, 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 I like our chances in those matchups down low. Uh, I think you're going to also see a lot of Malik Hall on, on Darson Garcia. Uh, yeah. Because Malik is a lot more mobile and, you know, he's strong as ox and, uh, he can he can create some some habit for uh, Darcy Dawson.
Right. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, to speak to what you just said, too, about Malik, uh, Malik has a world of talent. And, you know, it's, it's really unfair to judge him based on what he did against Northwestern because every time he touched the ball, they, they, they doubled him. And yep. then they fucking choked hard where they just weren't going to let him score. So that, there comes a time in, in, you know, in basketball that, you know, someone else has to, has to make some plays in, in, and be able to take advantage of that, and we didn't do that uh, in, in that particular game, and it ended up hurting Malik. But what, he did, but what I noticed uh, in this last game against Rutgers was instead of catching it off the post, as you guys know, he can. He does that a lot. He realized he's too far off the post. Now he's got too many dribbles. Against yep. Rucker, his dribbles were limited. You know, he back in one, two, boom. He's up in right, the air. Right into it. Up. And yeah. and the same thing with his turnaround. Now instead of turnaround, you know, it starts turning around at eight feet, and really by the time he releases it, 15 to 17, he was – getting it and turn around and it becomes a 10, 12 foot shot. He's going to make those. So, you know, he did a much better job in the, in, in, in recent games of getting the ball closer to the lane, you know, where, where he, he, you know, he could limit his dribbles. I mean, he made a couple really beautiful moves, you know, where he faced up, stepped through one dribble up. You know, I remember the one where he came across the middle, you know, coming back, uh, you know, to coming back to the middle on the on the right hand block, and just you know, just was right there. They tried to dig down, but it was too late. So, you know, it's hard to trap. It's hard to trap a guy when he's in the lane. You know, if you're yep. coming, you know, there's two. It's a, there's two. Uh, there's two ways most teams do it. Some people come right away. Some people come when you take your first dribble. And uh, on him against Northwestern, they were just coming. They were just one going, they wanted to get it out of his hand because he, you know, I don't think, I think what that tells you is that they knew they couldn't stop him if he got the ball. Yeah. And, and I guess the other thing, too, just to, just to put another fine point on it where you're talking about, you can't always blame Malik for this stuff. There are other factors involved. When you're talking about where he's catching the ball, a lot of that's on the guards too, right? Like, are they are they hitting him with entry passes when they're available, or is the pass kind of off? I know there was one possession in the Rutgers game. I can't remember who threw it, 
where I thought the entry pass took him five feet away from the spot yeah. where he had established yeah. possession. And that's really mm -hmm. critical too for good right. post plays. Absolutely. You got to get it on time and on the and in the right spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're you're right on the money in that, you know, you gotta, you know, as as a as a guard, you gotta get the guy the ball where he can do something with it. And you gotta throw that ball in there at the right time. Because if I have you sealed like right in the lane and then my my perimeter guy catches it, holds it over his head, now throws it, now the defense is set. But if he if it comes to him, it's almost like a touch pass, like right in there. Now I got, you know, I got the guy sealed off. I'm gonna score. So you're you're right, man. And you you can't, you know, some of some of <laughs> some of those perimeter passes on the post feeds. You know they're 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 they they can be questionable. Who's who's the best post entry passer that you coached at Michigan State? Do you think you had to name one guy? Oh, there's no question. It's Team Cleese. I okay. mean, I mean that's what I would have thought. The Team Cleese. When you start talking about passing, you know, Cassius was a great passer too, but Mateen Cleese. If there if there's no Mateen Cleves, there's no Morris Peterson, mm -hmm. because you know I was going to speak to when you was talking about how bad Ben's team shot. Sometimes it's not the shooting, the passes are not passes. You know we we would constantly preach. You know, get a guy a pass he can shoot. That. That means that ball, when it gets to him, is right in the shooting pocket. He can just go right up into his, his shot. A great passer takes a great shooter into his shot. He takes him into it. He doesn't have to gather it. He's just, it's just the, where he's putting the ball, it takes him right into his shot. And when you have guys, your guards can't really do that. They're throwing it to his shoulder, and he's got to put it back in place or down too low or too high or – even a matter of touch sometimes, you know, zenith where the guy doesn't have a feel to the ball, all those things have an effect on shooting. And, you know, again, I don't think a lot of people, they watch the game, but they don't, they don't understand that, that aspect of it. Uh, so moving on to reserves with Braden Carrington, six foot four sophomore wing, averaging 5.6 points a game on 38, 17 and 72 shooting. Uh, so he also pulls down four and a half rebounds a game in 23 minutes. And he's a Minnesota kid, so that's an example. I think, I think I heard that seven of his scholarship players are from the state. So I think Ben Johnson is trying to do mm. what we were talking about earlier. Um, and Carrington would be one of those guys. Obviously, the the deep shot is not falling for him at, at 17%, but uh, four and a half rebounds a game, from the wing is is not right. bad. You'll take that. Uh, so right. he is finding ways to contribute. Parker Fox is uh, healthy after missing a couple seasons due to injury. He's averaging 3.4 points a game and two and a half rebounds a game in 11 minutes, shooting 67% from the floor and 50% from the line. I think the victory here, and, and for the next guy we're going to talk about too, is just that he's on the floor. I mean, you missed two straight seasons yeah. with injuries. That's... 
that is remarkably tough. And I would think it probably says something about his mental toughness that he's even back playing at all. Um, and it, it's kind of a, it's a neat story. You know, he was a very, very good player at the D2 level in Minnesota. I think he was at, I think the school's called Central State. I don't recall off the top of my head, but he was very, very good there. And when they got him two <laughs> years ago, they thought he would actually have a chance to really be productive. And then the injuries hit. And then they hit again last year. Um, he's not playing a ton, but, you know, anytime you can have a guy with a little bit of size and, and some experience who knows how to play, and it seems like he does, that's a benefit for, as we were talking about earlier, just lengthening their rotation so they can rest guys a little bit more than than Ben Johnson was able to the the two previous seasons. And finally, Isaiah Innan, a six foot nine junior, uh, who also missed two last two seasons due to injury, averaging five point two points a game and two point eight rebounds a game in sixteen minutes, shooting forty six, thirty eight, and fifty eight. Yeah, and again, missing two straight years, the perseverance alone. You gotta, you gotta be impressed with, and so it's a victory of a sort. Just that he's back out there playing. the 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 fact that he's that size, is six nine, he's able to shoot as well as he does. That was, I remember them talk, and I think he, I want to say, I think he played his first year at least under Richard Patino. So I believe he was one of the few holdovers that they had when when Patino was fired. But I remember them being really enthusiastic about him because they thought, all right, this guy is a really big wing. He's 6'9", but he can actually shoot it. He's a good athlete. Um, And so good for him that he's at least been able to uh, keep that shot in line and and is giving them some production from out there. And and 16 minutes a game, he's actually giving them uh, a decent amount of minutes to, again, help lengthen that rotation keep guys fresh and yet still be giving them some production when he is out there. All right, we'll move on to uh, the squeegee squad of Grand Rapids. They sponsor our next section, which is the clean the glass. And so which player best cleans the glass best for Michigan state. Uh, As you may know, squeegee squad of Grand Rapids covers the entire Metro Grand Rapids area. They clean your windows, but it's not just residential. They also do commercial high rise, whatever you need done. They also do power washing they were scheduled to come out today, but it turns out if it's 10 degrees, they can't wash windows because you just have ice in your windows. <laughs> so they're going to come back next week. Fortunately, we live in Michigan. It's usually not this cold. So <laughs> they'll come back later. And I'll give you guys a firsthand account of how they do. They're going to, I'm very excited. They're going to clean out the screens. They're going to clean the windowsills. I'm probably for the first time going to actually see clearly outside. And then I, although right now all I'm doing is just looking at, I'm in Grand Rapids coach. So I'm seeing about, uh, about a foot and a half of snow outside my window right now. So we got a ton of snow. I know it was in East Lansing a couple days ago, and I think you guys got a couple inches, but we got a ton here. So uh, anyway, so uh, right now, uh, as it stands, I'm up 3-1 on Rod. So Coach, since you're our guest, you get to pick first which Michigan State player you think is going to clean the glass the best against the Gophers. Oh, boy, I have to go with Mighty Sissoko. I mean, that's a safe bet. <laughs> He's <laughs> been a popular choice. I'm, I'm, sure he, I'm sure he's won this. Uh, I'm sure he's won this award several times. Uh, I think it's every time since we've been doing it, and he's I, well, always the first yeah, pick. He, yeah, except that last time you got you picked him, and then it was Cooper who I had, I think, one more uh, the Northwestern. So, oh, I, okay. so I pulled off. That's how I got the 3-0 lead. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your pick, Rod? Um, I'll go with Malik Hall. 
He's gonna. He's bound to win at one of these times. We keep. He's like one off. He's been close. He's yeah. been very close. Had he just scrapped a little harder with Jaden Aikens the last game, they would have at least tied Mahdi, But he. But he let Aikens get that rebound. So, uh, I guess I'll go with Cooper just because uh, he's. I. I'll just stick with him. Uh, you know, rebounding is obviously important. Minnesota is really good. Uh, from the offensive side, not very good defensively. How is it that a team can be really good offensive rebounding versus defensive rebounding and vice versa? I mean, how does that, is it, is it just a, a strategy? You're worried about floor balance or how does that actually happen? Well, in all actuality, uh, uh, contrary to proper belief, if you go after an offensive rebound, it's, rebound, it's really easier because you, when you're on offense, you can see the flight of the ball without having to turn around. So, you know, you right away, the ball is going up, the flight of the ball is going, and I'm shooting from the right-hand side of the floor. It's hitting the rim. I see right away before my defender, by the time he turns around, the ball has hit the rim and bounding that way. So if I'm on the offensive glass, I'm watching my shot, I see where it's going, I, I can get there. You know, it's and uh, it's the same. You know, uh, underneath, a lot of times, you know, we're right under the basket, and guys, people say, "Oh, he got a he got a block, block box him out. He got to box him out." Well, when you go in there against a good athlete in there, <laughs> and you turn your back to him, a lot of guys that are good off as a rebound, they're not gonna let you do that. You got to kind of check them and locate that ball. Whereas the offensive guy, he knows where the ball is going. Now I'm trying to cut this guy. I got to find him, and then I got to find the ball at the same time. That's a little tougher than what what most people think. Yeah, the the only advantage, I guess, you have the positioning is better to start with, right? That's your advantage in the defensive You You do. You do. Um, But, I mean, as I said, (laughs) you know, you're going against (laughs) athletes, they – they move. They don't just stand there in, in one spot. They're moving. <laughs> All right. We'll go on to the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing is a great place to get your Spartan apparel or other collegiate apparel. Uh, you can go to Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. At checkout, you get 20% off your purchase if you type in Final Four, just one word, at the coupon code. Uh, as you know, uh, Gabe and Brittany are great Spartans. They produce everything here in Grand Rapids. Screen print material, uh, their T-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, whatever you need, uh, they will provide it for you and it, get it to you real quickly. Uh, they're super comfortable. I'm wearing one right now. Uh, I've worn one many times. They're the most popular shirts in my family. And so I continue getting asked to get more. So anyway, so you can't go wrong by going to Nudge Printing uh, for your uh, Spartan apparel needs. And again, the other thing is, of course, they have all those different logos, vintage logos that you can't get really anywhere else. And so you can't go wrong. So begin with five keys of the game. The first key is the interior defense. So I'm going to we'll let coach break down the this one here for Minnesota and uh, obviously Garcia, which mentioned already someone we need to keep in the gutter. So for the defensively, uh, how we're going to do in the interior against Minnesota. Uh, it's very important that we play great interior defense, but more so than, than that, you know, we've got to, we've got to get, we've got to get, get those guys off the block and not let them, you know, get their feet in the light. That's where the danger become. And we got to keep them, you know, when we got to keep them from getting to the foul line uh, because of how they play, you know, they they really want to, they really want to, you know, get in there and, and mix it up and 
now you're out of position and now you're trying to, you know, uh, get to the ball and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're coming over their backs and all kinds of stuff just because of their activity. But, uh, you know, we're pretty active inside and I think the size will help our bigger guys, you know, better match up for them. But, uh, you know, in, interior defense is just about toughness and, uh, you know, just being determined uh, not to let the guy get position. And uh, the best interior defensive players, they just don't let you touch it. <laughs> they just don't. In the past, when we had Andre Hudson, Antonio Smith, those guys, you you were touching that ball, man. <laughs> you just weren't. They were going to let you. That brings up a, a quick question I have for you. When you mentioned Andre Hudson, Antonio Smith, and that era, obviously the game's called very differently now than it used to be. And, right. And I've heard, you know, this is something you hear a lot. I've heard a lot of coaches say this where, and it's what you were just alluding to, that you actually win a, a possession defensively by the work you do before the post player ever touches the ball because you're Absolutely. rooting them off the spot they right. want to be on, that they're comfortable in. Right. You're making them catch right. it, you know, five feet away from that, whatever it is, but you're doing that well, work early. Exactly. How, how difficult is it, though, now, as opposed to 20 years ago, to do that and avoid fouls. Uh, how did you guys change, you know, without going into tremendous detail, but how did you change the way that you you taught that? Because I have to believe there have been changes over that time. Well, back in those days, we just knocked people down. You guys. <laughs> right, <know>. exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I loved it. You know, I, I, I loved it. So, um, you know, the game was, was played in so much – is such a much more physical atmosphere that, you know, but today, you know, it's hard to do that. And uh, one of the things, you know, they'll give you a chuck, but you got to keep your arm in. And then, you know, the big thing is when you say do your work early, I've got to beat that postman down, down the court. And then I've got to start to work him off the post by the time he gets to the top of the key. And really, you know, you know, you like to say, hey, if you're you're still good if the guy gets to the free throw line, but if he gets to the free throw line, he can spin and then repost you and they can, you know, reverse the ball or swing it and then now he has you sealed and you're on his back. But you gotta, you know, you gotta meet that guy early, man. That's the biggest thing about keeping guys out of the post. If he's on the left block trying to go right. You got to go there and meet him, get your hands up where the referees can see him and put your chest, you know, you got to put your chest right, you know, right into his shoulder where he can't, you know, where he can't come across and just show your hands. But it's tough because, um, you know, I was watching the Rutgers game the other night. Uh, I forget who it was. I just hate to call when the, when the, when the guy is – backing a guy in, he's backing a guy in, backing a guy in. And the minute the guy gets a little physical, the ref calls. That's not right. bad. If a guy, right. my opinion on that rule, you know, the physicality should match the physicality. 
if I'm going to be physical and, and backing you in, then you should allow me to be physical. Not, oh, I just stand here like this. That, that's, that's, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Second key to the game is pace. So as we mentioned, you know, Michigan State has, their offense looks best when they have a fast pace. Uh, and the golfers, golf, golfers, the golfer, gophers uh, aren't super slow, but they are definitely slower than uh, pace than Michigan State. I, and I think they, I think they, um, I think they play at a slower pace. I think Ben wants to up tempo it a little more than they than they do, but they turn the ball over. So right, <laughs> right. You can't you can't do both. You you just can't. You know. I mean, we are a relatively high uh, turnover team because we do push it, but <laughs> but you know. Um, if you're not getting anything out of that and you just turn it over, you know, because you, you got to weigh your, you, you have to weigh your turnovers in, in two ways. One, when we come up to court and we, is a walk up and we go in in our offense and then we throw our air and pass or travel with the ball. The other is when we play faster, you know, is it a waste of possession because almost, you know, two out of three, we're turning it over. That's what determines that. Yeah. And at that point, a good coach is just going to cut it. We're, we're not going to really try to run unless we get a turnover off a steal, you know. Yeah, and I mean, Michigan State this season, even better than last season, I think, from a turnover standpoint and playing, I think, faster than last year. So it's been pretty impressive with holding the turnovers down to a minimum despite playing or at least working to try and play a lot faster. You you know there's there's two train of thoughts on that, and uh, I once talked to Roy Williams about it because you know Roy Williams is a uh, a big believer in the break as well. Matter of yep. fact, they 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 there were years they were better than us at running the ball out. And one of his things, he had a real young team, and I said, "Well, coach, what you going to do?" And uh, he said, "You know, Mike, I tried to slow him down." And we just played terrible. He said, <laughs> you know what? I'd rather speed them up, let them try to make play, and let them play in their comfort zone, and, and we start playing better. He said, I, he said, with this group, I'm going I'm to speed them up. I want them to go faster. I want them to go faster because now the court is open. There's less gap defense. You can see things better. It's easier to make passes in the past and like, because you're going faster because there's probably one and sometimes two or even even uh, sometimes even three guys, you know, behind uh, behind you. So, you know, you, you know, you you playing playing fast, you know, people say, Oh, you can but you know, for us, when we start to get into trouble is when we we're not pushing that ball. Yeah, oh. that's where we <laughs> preaching to the converted we, on that one, Coach. <laughs> yeah, every every year. I mean, yeah, when we had great team, if you slowed us down and made us play methodically, you know, because we couldn't get in a shot rhythm, anything. That's what it affects the most when you when you slow on the team. Right? It's just shot rhythm. You know, you can't. <laughs> it, it it becomes tough. So, Rod, the third key to the game is ball movement. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, Michigan State offensively moving around, uh, especially in the half court, and and especially the uh, 
people looking to try and get actually movement even off the ball too. Yeah. Coaches have talked about it after the Rutgers game. You look at the first half versus the second half offensively for MSU, and I think you pretty clearly see the difference between how they play when the ball is moving and with purpose and when it's not. In the first half, it really wasn't. In the second half, it was. I thought it was much, much better, and the results were better. And as we've talked about a lot, I think you know sometimes people talk about pace and what they think of exclusively is getting into transition, the fast break. But I think Boom. it's important for this Michigan State team to play with pace even in the half court. To me, they're a mm-hmm. lot better when the ball's moving, guys are moving, they're not standing around, they're not stagnant. I mean, I think that's true of every team, but it's definitely true of Michigan State this year. Absolutely, and I would agree on that. And, um, you know, getting – in today's game, especially because, you know, uh, guys want to go off to dribble so much more than they have in, in, in the history of the game. Uh, but, you know, you have to understand that if we swing that ball from side to side, we're going to get defense out of rotation. I don't, care, I don't care who's defensive, how good you are defensively. If I start to, you know, swing that ball, and, and you got to shift from from wrong side to weak side, strong side to weak side. At some point, you're going to break down, and then you're going to start having long closeouts, and I'm going to start driving you. And then if you don't have long closeouts, short closeouts, and I'm going to hit threes. So you're right about ball movement, man. You get that ball swinging, and uh, it's a tough thing to defend. And, and it's and it's always how coaches those teams have played. I mean, there are some programs where, and sometimes it can be effective, where it's all about dribble drive, guys squaring, like you were saying, maybe more so now than ever, guys squared up a defender and trying to go one-on-one, but that's not been the equation at Michigan State, and Michigan State's won a lot of games playing that way. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Then when you swing it, you know, even if you're a dribble penetration team, you swing that ball and create that long closeout. Now when that guy goes off to draw, he has some space to move. And then, right. you know, somebody gets lazy on the weak side. There's nobody in that gap. He can get in there, penetrate, kick it, or get it easy. All right, Rod, your fourth key to the game is Mitchell. Yeah, and, you know, Minnesota's got some other guys, and we've talked about it. You know, Ola Josephs, Enan, and Christy all have good three-point shooting percentages. But when I've watched them, to me, the guy who worries me the most is Mitchell because he's got a quick quick release, and so he can basically get a shot off a little easier maybe than anybody else. And he's also the kind of player, as I said earlier, at least when I've watched him, he's kind of feast or famine. And those guys always, as a viewer, as a fan, they always kind of terrify me. Because <laughs> you think, oh boy, maybe he gets on a roll. And, and especially if Michigan State lets him get some good early looks early where they're not closing out on him well, then his confidence maybe starts to get going, and then you've got a real problem. So he's the guy who worries me the most in that perimeter group for sure. And I think they gotta, they've got to be consistent in terms of how they deal with him. And the final key to the game, we'll, we'll toss this over to coaches, matching their energy. So... 
Uh, Minnesota is definitely been proved. And so, you know, th- these are D1 schools at Power, Power 5 conference schools, right? So you, you can't show up with little energy and expect to win. Well, first and foremost, you know, to win a game in the Big Ten, you have to bring energy. If you don't bring energy, you won't win. I don't care if you have five NBA All-Stars on your team. You're not winning Big Ten without energy. Um, it's just, it, it is a must. That's a first and foremost. Your team has to play hard because everybody plays hard. Everybody plays hard. It is a tough, tough conference. You know, people can say whatever they want. Um, you know, I, you know, I just know from being in the business and hearing guys talk, you guys wouldn't believe some of the frontline coaches, and I won't mention no names, that were afraid to take open jobs in the Big Ten. <laughs> because you can't count you you can't count games in the Big Ten. In other conferences you can count games. But there I mean, I'm talking about some big, big Hall of Famer type guys would not take a job in the Big Ten. That's how hard it is to win. Uh, the media can say whatever they want, all that stuff. No, it's it's the best conference. Well, one of the other special things about having you on the show is, you know, you just released a new a book that you'd written. And I'm holding up for those of us watching on YouTube. So if you're not subscribed to YouTube, you can certainly head on to our channel at, at TFFI on TS. It's called the Goje uh, Spartan School of High Performance Maxima, Maximum Execution Training. Well, before before I get into the questions, I just want to make a comment. I'm going to try to, because I, I read this book over the weekend and and I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and I want to, I want to say this to our listeners, you know, a, a lot of people like us that are deep Michigan state fans, and I'm old enough that I go back a ways. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of inside stories about the Judd Heathcote era because books have been written about it. Judd wrote a book, Lynn Henning wrote books. Um, mm-hmm. Greg Kelser wrote a book. So those stories that weren't out there at the time things were going on or you just get a deeper idea like well what was that team meeting like in 1979 after they lost to northwestern to fall to four and four in the big 10 and their season turned around from there they ended up winning the national championship we know some details of those stories we don't have a lot of that yet about the tom Izzo era because the books haven't been written until this one and i i really and and We'll talk to Coach, obviously, about what his the overriding theme is behind this book, because it, it has a very clear one. Um, but one of the things that any fan is going to enjoy is is just getting a sense, a much deeper sense of some of the players and the coaches that have been part of this incredibly successful program. Even stories you think you know something about, you don't know the whole story. Yes. and. And to be getting it from someone on the inside, just offering so much more detail and insight is is really something any Michigan State band's going to enjoy. So I would I would highly recommend picking this book up just on that basis alone. Um, maybe before I start with the questions, um, Coach, can you tell us? I, I mentioned there is a pretty clear theme, but I, I'd much rather people hear you talk about it than me. If you could tell us what kind of inspired you to write the book and and what the book is about. 
Well, there's there's actually a couple of things here when we start talking about what inspired me to write the book. Uh, Tom always wanted me to write the book. He wanted me to write the book, and is if and you read it all the way through. There's uh, quite a quite a deal about him and about his life and about who he sure. is. Yeah, about who really is. You know, some people think they know. You know, I was on Jack Ebling's show about three weeks ago, and you know, he was telling his audience that um, he said, you know, um, I'm just letting you guys know that, you know, I was beat writer for the Spartans for many, many years, and I thought I knew until I read <laughs> the book. I thought I knew inside things until I read the book. And uh, I, I, Rod, I really appreciate you telling our audience about that. And and as you know, I use those, I I use those analogies of basketball to teach life lessons and 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 you know concepts to to help you know not only just young kids but anybody a college guy a pro guy anybody you know to help them uh, they can apply those those fundamental skills of the game if they think about them in terms of a life skill and that's what it was all about and then I use those stories to give them a to give you a clearer picture of what I was talking about. And, um, you know, Tom, you know, as I said, Tom always said, hey, Mike, you know, uh, if there's going to be a book, you know, many people approached him about a book, but he said, I want you to write the book. So I had inspiration to write the book for that, for that reason. But also, um, also, uh, you know, I wanted to write it to, to help young men. You know, I'm sure you guys, and you know, you've been around and you, you've been around athletics a lot. And in particular, when you see like a lot of high school guys that were pretty good high school um, players, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, whatever they did, you know, they could do things under pressure. They can make those pressure free throws you know, if they're the quarterback, you know, they could come up with the play, you know, when things fell apart. But yet, when it comes to applying those same type of things to the game of life, they just seem to get lost and don't understand that, you know what, what you've been taught by your coaches over the years are a great template for success, no matter what you decide to do. That's why... You know, Fortune 500 companies want Tom Izzo to come in and talk or Bill Belichick. <laughs> you know, there's there's a reason for that. And it's tough uh, because, you know, what a lot of people don't, uh, people do realize this, but a lot of CEOs and big time business people realize, man, this guy is doing it and he's having success. And those players are having success out there with someone actually trying to stop them physically from doing <laughs> what they're doing. When I'm taking right. a test, you know, I always say this to some professors who, you know, they get all upset about what coaches get paid, money, and this and that. First of all, when your students fail, you, you there's no pressure on you. <laughs> right. If our kids fail, we get fired. <laughs> right. You know, there's no, you know, there's no, hey, you know, uh, oh, that's okay. No, it's not okay. 
our guys have to succeed. So we can't we we can't afford to not you know get deeply involved with our kids and and make sure they understand and and we have to teach them how to be successful at what they are doing. But you know, um, but but you know, guys, um, from the from the perspective of being a a a coach, whether it's in college or 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 um, pros or even in high school, they are taught those fundamental skills. And so many times, you know, I tried to be a little different, Rod, in that I don't know. I've never read. I've read a lot of sports books. I've never read a book where someone said, you know what, passing the ball is like passing. Uh, knowledge on to a kid or passing knowledge on to my child or receiving a pass is like listening or understanding that in, in the book, I talk about my grandma. She made great passes. She was my first real passer and someone that was giving me the knowledge and wisdom that I needed to, you know, to, to move on in life and to become, and to become, you know, to become who I was able to become today and made sure I had the basic fundamental skill sets. All those things in the game of basketball, and that's what I think makes it the greatest game in the world. It is such a, a, a microism of, of life itself. And that's the things I tried to capture in the book. No, I, I agree. It's a very it's a very unique theme that I, I've never seen done this way. I mean, obviously there have been there have been books related to athletics that uh, attempt to be inspirational, but the way this one is structured is is very unique. So the first thing that caught my eye was very early in the book. It was actually in the prologue. You said, uh -huh. it is believed by experts in the game of basketball that more games are lost than won. Without question, this quote also holds true for the game of life as well. Can you expand upon what you meant by that and, and how it's something sure. everyone ought to think about and be aware of in their own life? Sure. Sure. I stole that quote from the late, great Charlie Cole. Um, long oh, I time remember, coach. I remember him. Sure. School. Yeah. Great coach. At, um, great coach at Central Michigan. Uh, retired and finished his career down in Miami of Ohio. Um, I don't know if you remember when Sports Illustrated named him the godfather of coaches, maybe the best coach in mind in the game during that time. And right. he always said, you know, you, we we don't we we don't normally get beat. What I'm what I'm what that means by we don't normally get beat, we normally beat ourselves. So we lost the game. Very rarely does a team win the game. The other team loses the game because there is a set game plan. And if those kids or those player pros or players, if they follow the game plan and execute what they're supposed to do, they're going to win. But for the most part, that's why you know, as you guys, it was interesting as we were going through the podcast talking about Minnesota, 
we were starting to point out we were starting to point out where their weaknesses were and right. the numbers to those weaknesses. You see, so that tells you why they've been losing games. Like I was, it was interesting. I was surprised you guys didn't really bring this up. We're shooting the ball from the three pretty good. Oh yeah, but, we talk but, about but it a lot, it, coach. But we're losing games, and yeah, one yeah, of the reasons. But 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 see, one of the reasons we're losing games too is because, yeah, we're shooting those outside shots, but now we don't get to the line like we should. Right, right. You see what I'm saying? So, Absolutely. You know, Rachel made <laughs> up. Now, if we were the own Spartans with a offensive rebounding team, now we miss those shots. Now we get some putbacks and we get some foul shots with that, and we yep. put the team in a bad position. So one thing leads to the nut. And again, going back to your point, you know, uh, more games are lost in one <laughs> you know we're not we're, we're in, in the ones that we look that we're losing we're losing those games and that's why Tom is so upset that's why coaches get so upset they can swallow they can swallow a, a win I give you a great example when we when we lost to Middle Tennessee State we didn't we didn't lose that game they beat us you guys know that. They shot yep. yeah. a little 70% for the game. Crazy. In 60, yeah. Over 60. There was, there was not, and, and we were guarding. We were a heck of a people <laughs> team. They were just making everything. That's what happens in the game. So, you know, we we got beat. And you can you can live with that. You really can. But when, now, had we not been out there with a hand up and just given up, wide open threes, and we lost again. So, mm -hmm. you know, people do the same thing in, in, in life. I have a dream job. I want to show up to the dream job, and I got, on, I got the opportunity of a lifetime. But I go in to my, to my interview, I'm prepared. And then I'm wondering, well, why... Why didn't I get the job? Well, I blew my opportunity to get the job because I, I wasn't prepared. So I lost the job. Yeah. It's, it wasn't that, you know, the, they, they didn't want me. I lost the job. And I think a lot of life, you know, a lot of life is like that. I, 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 just, I just see it all the time. But that's what I, you know, I hope that uh, I gave you a, a uh, a little bit clearer understanding of what I uh, of what I mean by that, but it, it's you know Charlie Coles. I'm many a times I spent time with him talking about that particular philosophy of the game of basketball and the game of life. Oh, that's great. Yeah, there's so many parallels that go along, and and so many things that happen in life that are not sports related. And I think you know that is a great example that the first you open talking about Cassius Winston and what the tragedy everyone remembers when his, uh, when his brother uh, committed suicide uh, and, and what right. that did to him, but also the team and sort of how people react to it and, and to reacting to grief and, you know, young adults, they've may or may not have ever experienced this, right. With losing someone close to them. And so you have to navigate all these emotions and, you know, try and 
also do your job, which is to win basketball games. And, you know, the schedule just keeps going, whether you're ready for it or not. Right. And, and so, uh, and, and, you know, how, how does, uh, what does it say about Cassius and sort of how he got through things? I mean, I, it's a fascinating story because we sort of on the outside, you know what happens, but you don't really know what happens. Right. This to Rod's point that we just don't really know the details. Right. Right. Well, you know, I, I talk about in there when he came out of the game in the first half, we had to take him out. He's just, you know, everybody knew in the fans, you, you, you guys were yeah. great. Yeah. It's just during that time, the fact that he, you know, showed up to play that day was just remarkable, but he told me I, I need to play and I never will forget when we took him out in the first half. He came and he, he was crying and he sat by me and he said, he said, hey, OG, I, I'm, it's like I'm in an out-of-body out experience. He said, never in my life have I, you know, tried to dribble a ball or, or pass the ball. I, it's hard for me to play without a feel. I can't feel the ball. I can't. He says, it's like I'm not, I, it's like I'm out of control. Just like I'm out of my body, and uh, I remember that. You know, I remember Binghamton starting to give us a game and positioning themselves to win. And where whatever he did, you know, to pull himself back together, uh, he did it. And uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think he ended that game with 24 points and 10 assists. You know, and you're like, wow, how did you do it? I, I will tell you, Mateen Cleaves, very, very mentally tough. Very mentally tough. And you guys know we've had some mentally yes. mentally guy. But the number one to me is Cassius West because of his size, not really athletic guy. And to see him overcome that tragedy. And if you remember, we got behind in the league and because of him, we came back and won the league. Right, and, uh, and we're playing as well as anybody in the country absolutely. at the end of the season. Absolutely. I, you know, uh, I think it's funny. I talked to a lot of, a lot of Spartan fans. They said, COVID got our national championship. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it probably did. It probably yeah. did. We were yeah. on a mission. We were on a mission. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that about him and his toughness because I think that when I think most fans think about Cassius, they think about the just the great skill and the high-level basketball IQ, all those things that go along with it. But as you said, to go through, and the book makes very evident, and you read this and you read Coach Garland's account of, of what that period was like for him and for the team to, to see how he came through it, you have to be so incredible incredibly tough mentally and psychologically and spiritually, I think, to get through right. that and come out the other side. Um, Absolutely. So I want to turn to another great point guard that we've talked about a few times this evening. That's Mateen <laughs> Cleaves, because you, you also wrote a section. You write a section on a lot of guys people should know, but there's one right. on, on Mateen as well. Um, and you discuss the back injury that he had when he was a fresh, actually his senior year of high school. And then he was dealing with it throughout his freshman year at Michigan state and, and just the tremendous obstacle that was 
in his even being able to be on the floor, forget being a good player, Absolutely. just being able Absolutely. to play. And I wanted to get your your view on this because this is something I deeply believed. I saw him for the first time with my own eyes in the state championship game when he was a junior at Flint Northern. And <laughs> I could not believe that so good uh, people, of course, remember this. I'm sure all our listeners do. I mean, Mateen was built like a fullback. And to see yes. somebody who was that put together physically play with that kind of explosive athleticism, like oh, I, I'm, pre yes. I'm pretty sure my mind's not deceiving me, but I recall Flint Northern running high feed lobs where he yep. wasn't the passer, he was the recipient. He was the recipient. He's going up. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. I'm curious. How much, because I maintain at Michigan State and in the NBA, if that's the only time you saw him, you never saw the full Mateen oh. Cleaves. Hey, okay, so hey, so that's what I wanted to ask you about. How much you think that injury took away from him athletically? And then the second, maybe more important part, how remarkable and impressive it is that given that, given what was taken from him, he still was an All-American. He still won a national championship. Absolutely. He was still a first-round draft pick. It, it really is a story that I don't think gets told enough, in my opinion, at least. What a great example that is. Absolutely, Rod. And I mean, you know, that that that's Fondy. And, you know, I talk about in the book there that, you know, you know, he was getting called fat by Dick Vitale and all yep. those guys. Mason, I remember not time, not one time did he say or did he want Tom to cover for him and say, "Hey, he's playing in a body cast." He had a a plastic body cast up under his shirt, attached to his body, and it came down and it was built to where if he'd bent over too far, it would actually press on his testicles to make him straighten back up so that it would give him his back the best chance it had for healing while he practiced and played in the game. And, you know, I don't want to tell like, everything about it, right? You read it. Um, you know, those 5 a.m. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. training sessions with me and Antonio, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, we stuck our necks out on the line for one another, and um, man, uh, it, it was big time. But the courage to overcome all of that, and then still, as you said, nobody realized he, nobody, Michigan State, the majority of people you saw him in high school, never got to see the real Mateen Cleaves. Yep. You know, same thing with Kelvin Torber. A lot yep. of people forgot to see the real Kelvin Torbert. If you saw him in high school, you you're like, wow. You know, the guy could have went straight into the pros. But nobody knew he had a, a floating bone in his ankle and couldn't, you know, couldn't jump like Kelvin Torbert. He used to oh, play like he did. You know, injuries to an athlete are like, you know, I don't want to say it's cancer, but man, it takes a lot away from. Him. And uh, man, that you know, I'm glad you 
I'm glad you brought that up about Mateen. I mean, it, it is a story that's not talked about enough. And, you know, part of that is the reason I wrote the book, too, because a lot, you know, nobody, just a regular writer or author, they're not going to know that kind of thing. Um, right. You know, and I was, I mean, I was there first. Hey, and uh, yeah, just, just the courage. Don't think about this. Uh, he actually should have set out and he was going to set out. Tom, Tom and his parents wanted him to set out. And, you know, I, I talk about the basic fundamentals of the dribble and how you got to keep your dribble out ahead of you, you know, right. to right. get around <laughs> opposition. And he kept, you know, the dribble of his dream, he kept it out in front of him. And the opposition was his parents and Tom, and he had to get around them, and that's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I I always tell people, I don't know how you feel about this comparison, but for, for people who didn't weren't lucky enough to see him in high school, I, the only guy I've seen that really reminded me of him completely then was uh, was Baron Davis when Baron Davis was yep. at his best, kind of a similar build yep. and people, Great. so people saw Great. Baron Davis. They know like, right. wow, that guy gets up. Right. He is right. an athlete. Right. That was Petit Cleaves. That's right. who he right. was. Great comparison. Great comparison. Yep. Baron. That's a great comparison. Well, the, the last question I had for you, and again, I want to emphasize, we're just scratching the surface on on all the stories and and the lessons that are uh, that are included in this book, so I, I highly recommend it to all of our listeners. But this to me was kind of it wasn't one story you told, but it was maybe what I what I gleaned from all of them collectively. One okay. thing that I think comes across in the book to me, without okay. question, is the deep affection and love that you and Tom Mizzo and all the other assistants who were part of the staff over the years have for the players you've coached. And, and in the book, you talk a lot about the various struggles that all these guys that everybody knows, Cassius, Mateen, Draymond, Adrian Payne, and so many others went through and the joy that you guys got to see them come through the other side, to see them mature into adults. And in some instances, they go on to have great pro careers and in others, like Matt Ishbia, they go on to take over the world, <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, but, but it, that, that that's, do you think that's something that isn't recognized enough by those outside of the MSU community? Cause I certainly do. You know, I, I think about some of these incidents like where, you know, in an NCAA tournament game, Aaron Henry or Gabe Brown get yelled at by coach <laughs> yeah. and, right. and people don't, it seems to me that people don't understand that this is really what it's about. It's about you guys maybe maybe applying tough love, but love. And and right. that, and do, and if that's the case, do you think that that's right there among the most important reasons that the program has been as successful as it's been? Well, there's no doubt about it. It's the culture, and that and that culture is actually you know all that culture is built on love. Tough love, but it's love, and it, and it's you know it's 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 the right kind uh, of love and uh, tremendous leadership by Tom, and um, you know and without it, 
uh, what we have accomplished over those years, it could never have been done. You know, uh, one of the mistakes, I don't want to say it's a mistake, and I do want to say it's a mistake. I, I don't think I put enough in the book about the connection between the parents and the program and about mm-hmm. Frances Cleves and how she helped to us to build that total culture that's truly family. You know, at Michigan State, uh, when we say family, we we really mean family. Every program in America preaches family, but they're not. They're not. I mean, come on. And I know this to be a fact because I know some great players who would come with our some of our great players when they were in the league or come during the summer and play in our open gyms or whatever, and they would say, Coach, if I'd have known that it was like this here, I would have went here instead of where I went. That mm-hmm. tells the whole story. And then those guys are just there for a day or two. And and they and 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 our kids tell them how tough it is to play for us. They know, you know, we hold them accountable. I mean, we get after them guys. But understand something. And you mentioned Gabe Brown and Aaron Henry. Here's the part that most people don't understand. Some people do. When you see a young man allow another man to put his hands on him, poke his chest, and get in his face. That relationship and that license to be able to do that has been established long before that incident ever happened. It's right. a really good those, point. Those come from that three o'clock meeting, three o'clock a.m. meeting with with a guy where Tom would sit in that office with him till daybreak. And that kid's in tears because he ain't playing well. And Tom says, I'm not giving up on you. I'm yelling at you. And he yells at those guys and he gets after guys and he gets after his staff because he wants them to be able to, to, to they, he wants us all, I'm gonna put it that way. He wants us all to enjoy the same success that he's been able to, to, to have. And nothing hurts him more than to see when he has a kid with great potential that really didn't get to where he thought he could go. That's what Michigan State is all about. That is what it's all about. It's about the brotherhood and the connections. And I mean, look, here, here's what's crazy. Matt Ishbia's business, United Wholesale Mortgages. The majority of his top guys are guys from the 2000 National Championship team. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it interesting? And that's kind yeah. of what my book is about. And if you ever read Matt's book, he built, and he tells people this all the time, he built United Wholesale Mortgages, the company, and when he took it over, it was like, 312 out of 312, he didn't know a thing about mortgages, but he did know about establishing a culture where people pull for one another, 
pulled together and it was about doing what was best for the team, irregardless of what my thoughts or what, what I wanted to do. And I know that if I do my job, that, you know what, Eric's going to have success. And if Eric has success, Rod, you're going to have success. Right. And then we yeah. all eat and then we all enjoy, you know, the fruits of our labor. But when it's the other way around, nope, nope. How many times have you seen guys, and, and kids don't understand this. I say this a lot of times when I speak to kids um, in camps or wherever. One of the most interesting things about the draft is this. Very rarely will you see the top scorers in the nation drafted in the first round. Right. But you know a position, you know, but you know a a statistic that is always drafted. Rebound. Top five rebounders in the nation gonna get drafted. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Because of what they do for it with someone else. Right. And also maybe going along with that too, not always, but usually it's guys that have won. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Winning winning plays a, a significant role in that. Significant role in that. You know, and, and going back to that, if you recall when we had Jason Richardson, Jason Richardson was a fourth player taken in, in, in his draft. He was the first American player taken in that same draft. And I asked, a scout one time, I said, why are you guys all over Jason the way you are? What, what, why, why, why are you all over him like that? They said he only averaged like 12 points a game and four <laughs> yeah. rebounds a game. I mean, there's kids with greater numbers. He just started laughing. He said, Mike, you know. I said, well, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> he says, Jason Richardson can win games for you without scoring a point. Right. And mm -hmm. I tell kids that all the time. And, you know, it's just look like, what are you talking about? Kawhi Leonard, at the start of his career at San Antonio, he was that guy. He didn't score points. Yeah. He got on the floor first. He won games for them without scoring points. That's when you know you got something special. De Dennis Rodman did it for two teams. Oh, big time. Big time. Yeah. Big yeah. time. Big time. I mean, every era we had got Bill Russell, really? Yep, sure. <laughs> you know, point ben, score? Ben Wallace. But winner. Ben Wallace. Winners, man. Winners. I just said that's probably a good place to end it with winning. So, um, yes. we'll, we'll have you back if you wouldn't mind coming back again. Coach, help us break down a game, maybe after a post game. Uh, and then uh, for all of you in Michigan, stay warm. Go Lions. I'm not sure if you're a Lions fan, Coach. I assume you are, but if not, well, I guess we'll be I okay. Oh, good. I love them. I yeah, love we, uh, them. Fortunately, they did not have the Maryland game up against the uh, the Lions game, so we're going to be able to still – you can watch both games. I'm sure the Michigan State, after they finish playing the game in uh, in Maryland, they're going to be watching that game. <laughs> be my hunch 
watch the Lions. And, and Eric, can I just say this before we get off? Absolutely. You know, if anybody wants uh, a signed copy of my book, uh, go to Maximum Execution with an X dot com slash book. And then you can find the book where you can purchase it at Amazon. Of course, Amazon.com, put my name in or put a Goji in and, and you'll be able to purchase it. Uh, but I appreciate uh, you guys having me on here. It was great. It was what a what a what a great uh, evening. Uh, yeah. Well, we appreciate your insight. It's so it's so helpful. And so again, if you want to get a hold of that book, uh, we'll have a link for you to underneath because if you're like out in the car or driving around or you're on the treadmill or whatever it is that you do while you listen to our show, uh, you can still find a way to access it. Uh, also, check out our other great sponsors: the Brothers Just Your Gutters, the Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids, and Nudge Printing. And so uh, hopefully Mr. State pulls it off against Minnesota, and we'll be back with after the game to talk about what happened. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs>